So what I have to share with you tonight, after I chose the subject of um, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, I started to think, wow, there's probably been a lot of people talk about this passage here, um, and I could consider myself brave um, choosing this passage. Um, so I'm brave tonight. Um, I'm brave because uh, on Tuesday mornings during Lent, I have sat with some amazing women in the narrative of Jesus in the wilderness. And we have wandered and wondered together in in the wilderness, and they have contributed um, to much of of what I have to share with you this evening. So let's begin. Jesus was led by the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How do you imagine the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness? Now, um, in Minnesota, most of us don't know much about the wilderness. And we, most of us, when we are thinking about um, a situation that we're imagining, we imagine from our frame of reference and our experience. So how much do we know about the, the wilderness of Israel? It, but if, or if I'm a mom with four little busy kids who need feeding and changing and attending day and night, then um, maybe 40 days or just four days in the desert would um, seem like a dream. <laughs> or if I'm one that's challenged every day by the people at my work and I have um, the, the reality of family and Um, the reality of paying bills, um, maybe, you know, some time in the desert um, would sound like just a break, time off. Um, If I'm single and I'm looking for someone to fill my loneliness, I might think at times my days are more than 40 in this desert. And the days are hot and the nights are cold, and this is a place of hopelessness and confusion. If I feel empty and hostile... Maybe I think I can tell you exactly what it's like. I dwell in this place night and day. It's filled with strange voices and distractions. There are snakes and things that would prick and stick you. Um, Everything about this place wants to suck the life out of you. It threatens death. It's dry. But if life is going well for me, well, I might wonder what God's invitation to the desert would be about. Why would he interrupt the place that I'm at? Why would he, I would miss out if I went away to the desert for 40 days. If I read the text and I hear only that Jesus was tempted by the devil, I could make the whole 40 days about the presence of evil, couldn't I? We can miss what God has for us in his word when we make it first about ourselves. We do that frequently when we begin um, to look at a narrative out of its context for the characters and for the people that it was first written to. This record is first and most importantly about Jesus. And then it was first written uh, to those who were um, from the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. Um, Luke was the one who wrote it for the Gentiles and Matthew was the one who wrote it for, um, the, for Israel. 
And this audience knew what the desert was like. They knew the geography. They knew the images that are mentioned in the narrative. They knew the Old Testament stories, the bigger picture, the context that sometimes escapes us. Even 40 would have been a significant um, number to the people of Israel. So the narr- And then the narrative that... Oops, I forgot this part here. This is important. It's in the context. Um, this story, both with Matthew and Luke, is told when? After the baptism of Jesus. So... And then the narrative that follows this record is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And in Matthew, we are told that his ministry began in Capernaum, and it, it was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. The people who were sitting in darkness had seen a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light had dawned. And the message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Luke tells us that Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, began preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. And Jesus reads from Isaiah to describe his call. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it's in this context in which the gospel writers tell us the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert. um, And they tell us in this context, because I learned this phrase when I was in seminary, it's called context is king, and um, this is the way it really happened. So this is the way we are to see it with our imagination. We have enough information to draw us into the story. Enough information for the Holy Spirit to quicken the word for us today. So I'm just, I would just want to stop right here and I just want to pray that we would be open to hear and to see this story fresh for what God has for us tonight. So Holy Spirit, um, thank you that you are the one who give, um, interprets the word to us. You are the one who quickens our ears so that we can hear. You quicken our minds so that we are able to um, think with you and to um, walk with you, Lord Jesus, in this season in the wilderness. And so um, I just ask that we would be able to put aside all the different things that we've heard about this story and enter into it afresh tonight. Amen. So, let me say again um, that we need to notice our desire to make the scripture be first about us. We want to make meaning out of it. We want to use it. We want to understand it. We want to use this record as an example for us to follow so that when we're tempted, we will have the, the instructions for how to deal with our temptations and we can create a sense of expectation of relief or reward. So in this time, I'm going to take this earring off because it's bumping there. Does that help you? (laughs) All right. Um, So the question is, let's think hard and fresh about this um, time for Jesus in the wilderness. What might this time in the desert have looked like for him? 
And what was God's purpose in leading him by the Spirit into the desert? What did the temptation of Satan accomplish? We're going to look closely at what's said and what isn't. So, um, let's remember where Jesus came from. He had been in the Jordan River, baptized by John, washed by the water that Israel had walked through into the Promised Land after 40 years in the desert. The Jordan River that contained the stones of remembrance left by the priests as they entered the land. He came out of the water and the heavens opened and the spirit descended upon him like a dove. And there was an audible voice from heaven declaring, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And with this washing and with this word, Jesus was then led into the wilderness. So with this information, how do we imagine Jesus in the wilderness? The text tells us that he was led into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. How do you understand that word temptation? Do you imagine Jesus harassed for 40 days in the wilderness? This word temptation means a challenge in order to prove what is within. It's being squeezed to see what comes out. It's being emptied to show what's really there. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the desert to prove what was within him. And the text tells us also that it was after 40 days, not throughout. So what if we reframe the wilderness experience? And you can close your eyes if it helps you. Um, imagine. The Son of God, the one with whom the Father is well pleased, is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. The Word of God, who was with God from the beginning, the one who spoke the creation into being, walks together in unity into his wilderness. He walks away from the life he's known for 30 years. And he walks into 40 days of communion. As the words of his father echo through the canyons, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. For 40 days, morning and night, he will be alone with his father in the spirit celebrating the rhythm of the world they created. Each morning as the sun rises, he senses my face. My face shines upon you. Maybe they, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just delighted together in the sounds and the creatures and the strange beauty that filled their time together. I wonder if it might be the season of spring with its magical blooming. If I remember right, Yellow fills the landscape. Maybe there was the remembering of the history of a people who for generations had been given the privilege of knowing the grace of God as well as his discipline, judgment, and mercy. I wonder if there was a grieving over what was not, over the brokenness into which the Son had come. I wonder 
if there was a clarifying, confirming of the mission that was before them. And all the while, the words of the Father were sung by the wind. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. What if these were days, moments of preparation? What if the intention of God was the deep, abiding attachment that comes through facing and fellowship during times of rest, waiting and wondering and wandering? Is this the wisdom of God to offer this fast, this stopping, before Jesus began his ministry? Was this a time for anticipation as the Son of Man, now 30 years old, would enter into the purpose for which he was born? A time when a father calls his son aside in preparation for a wedding that will come. He grips his hand and he looks in his face and he says, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember my delight is in you. You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I sense for Jesus this preparation time of the soul, offered quiet and the silencing of other voices, strengthening and empowering. And I think the text permits us to imagine this. Does this describe your Lenten fast? The story goes on. After, after, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And at this point of vulnerability, the tempter comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. There's the stones. What is the temptation? Those of you who were at our Ash Wednesday services, do you remember Tyler's definition of sin? It's stuck with me. It's just I haven't been able to get away from it. As the grasping for what God has not yet provided, as a posture that tempts to circumvent, is tempted to circumvent the waiting, the trusting, the preparation, the growing, the discipline seasons, Sin as an attempt to reorder a reality in order to serve ourselves. How might this inform the challenge of Satan? First, prove to me who you are. And second, command, use the power of your word. That word that created and sustains the world to disorder reality. Change these stones into bread. Jesus isn't hooked by Satan's challenge. His response is to quote from Deuteronomy 8, where, Jesus, where the father is describing the purpose for the 40 years of Israel in the desert. And he says, you were there that you might be tested so that you would know what's in your heart. And that you would know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. 
I wonder if the word Jesus had heard throughout the 40 days still filled him. He quickly could declare by faith that manna from heaven is enough. And he stood upright by his posture declaring, I am the Son of God. Matthew now tells us that the devil took Jesus to the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him again, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And again the devil attempts a hook, this hook. And there are the stones. And Satan challenges, If you are the Son of God, prove the favor of your Father. Will he keep his word concerning you? Does he love you? Will he save you? Yes, is the answer. In the end, always, yes. But that's not what's going on here. Satan is tempting Jesus to act in a way that disorders authority. He's putting God to the test. Satan's quote from Psalms 191 is, actually uses the word command as a description of a relationship. Rightly ordered, father to son, farmer to worker, kings to subjects. And I sense the challenge of Satan is throw yourself away. If you are God's son, he won't allow you to experience the consequence of your action or your choice. He will submit to your choice. It's the same challenge in the garden, isn't it? If you can become like God, do your own thing, doubting God's goodness. And now Jesus stands on the temple and by his word declares, I am the Son of God, and I know his pleasure, and I have my Father and the, I and my Father and the Spirit have chosen not my will, but the will of God. And that was settled in the 40 days of communion. In John 6, 38, he's going to declare again, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And then finally again, the devil took Jesus, this time to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The kingdoms, our own individual realms, families, tribes, tongues, nations, the peoples and their systems. Can't you hear Satan's pride as he says, these are mine. Their power to rule the hearts of people and their, their reputation and their glory, what is spoken of about them, it all belongs to me. And I give it to whomever I choose. All these I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Now, I have this picture of Satan as being very frustrated with the posture of Jesus as he has st stood in his identity. And he wants him bent over. He wants him bent into his will. And the core of this temptation is disordered affections putting self before others, before God, before his will and his timing. 
Will the spirit be manifest or will selfishness and self-protection and self-promotion have its way? Will Jesus choose humility or will he put himself in a posture that is opposed to God? Will he, we know he does, submit to God and resist the devil? Will he choose the posture that's described in Philippians where it says that Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not grasp at that posture, at that privilege. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen to the insight offered in our time on Tuesday mornings, considering humility. Humility is a confidence that who you are is enough. The one who is humble does not need to prove herself. She can risk being herself. If you are humble, you are not attempting to be more than, less than, or other than who you've been created and called to be. I love this one. We know in humility the limit of our reach. We know what our work is and that we have the capacity to do that work. Our work is within our reach. One who is humble exercises the capacity by the Spirit's fruit of self-control to reign in their feelings. To be disciplined in a way that says, how I feel isn't more real and it doesn't get to have the final say in my choice. Humility is a choice that we make. It's not made for us, not even the Son of God. He chose to humble himself. And James tells us to do the same thing. Isn't it great that grace is promised to those who will humble themselves? Now, I don't believe that Satan knew the depths of what he was offering Jesus. But ultimately, it was the kingdom without the cross, wasn't it? It was the people without the price. Jesus knew because after 40 days, his vision was clear, and even now in his response, he was setting his face towards Jerusalem. And he chose not to grasp what would be his. He believed in his Father's word. Someday, every knee, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. He believed, not, but not now, not yet, not without the provision that he would make for those others who are beloved of God. And he would wait, and he would walk through the land of Israel for the next three years, proclaiming his message, declaring the love of God to a people who needed a Savior. And he would walk into the garden, and he would go to the cross, trusting his father would raise him from the dead. 
trusting that his sacrifice would be sufficient, that it would pay the debt for the sin of the whole world, it would be enough for the sin that we commit and the sin that's committed against us, and that his sacrifice would have the power to change the dynamic of every kingdom, bringing us into a new kingdom, to the kingdom of our God and and his Christ. And that's the kingdom that Matthew tells us was the begin, the first proclamation of Jesus as he begins his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. And the last word that was spoken about Jesus' identity was spoken by a Roman soldier as he stood at the foot of the cross. And he looked upon him. What did he say? This truly is the Son of God. So then the text tells us that Satan left and the angels came and ministered to Jesus. What a gift of fellowship and joy. It doesn't say that they brought him food. It says they ministered to him. They met all of his needs. Just at the right time. The provision of the Father was there. So now that we've experienced Jesus, what have you seen? What have you heard? What might be the invitation of fasting even as we finish these last days of Lent? In these last three years, I've thought or just had an image that we've kind of had a three-year force fast from the things that are normal from the, for us, from the things that um, we just take for granted, from the patterns that, and the projects that we've had. And the idea of a fast is to stop and to pay attention, to become distra- dis- detached from routines and obligations. And I wonder if this Lent doesn't have a special invitation as we are moving into of a more open and freer time in life. Um, And that it's an invitation that we be intentional and we pay attention to the temptation that's before us as we move into life again. Will we come forth prepared, full and confident and focused? What will you bring into life at the end of this fast? Remember your baptism and let the word from heaven be for you. You are my beloved child, my son, my daughter, my grandson. Is that the context where your confidence is sure? That is the place that your call will come. So there's the temptation of disordered reality, disordered authority, disordered affection. Will they be a temptation to you? If they are, what will, be, what will come out when you are squeezed? This is the good news. Jesus became the bread of life. He is the demonstration of the love of God to be trusted, not tested. And his kingdom has come, it is coming, and it will come. And it's an everlasting king, 
kingdom, and he is the king of kings. He is the beloved of God, and so are we. Thanks be to God.